Hello, and welcome to Independent Clause, your anthropomorphic writing and literature podcast. Episode 8, Wav, Two Wav. This episode, I want to spend a little time talking about romance and erotica writing in furry. This is a big one, and there's a huge body of existing work talking about it. But since I started writing this right around Valentine's Day in the U.S., I figured that now would be a good time to chat briefly about one of our largest genre categories in furry literature. Now, please note that there is a reason why this podcast is marked explicit, and this episode is one of the reasons. I will be possibly using vulgar and clinical terms, and possibly describing sexual acts. So if you are not of the legal age of majority in your country of residence, then please do not continue listening to this episode. When I refer to erotica or romance, I will be talking primarily about works whose sexual content is used to enhance the plot without being the entire point of the story. And that's how I differentiate erotica and romance from just porn. I make no value judgments about pornography. Erotica and romance are, to me, not better or worse than pornography, morally speaking. So please bear that in mind as we chat. So as I said, romance is one of our largest genre categories in the fandom, either in its pure form or as a subgenre within another work. If you haven't, I can recommend listening to the Writing Excuses podcast series from 2016, as the entire year was dedicated to elemental genre and subgenre, and it can really dive into the guts of some of those topics. It's pretty impossible to talk about romance in furry fiction without bringing up Out of Position by Kyle Gold. It was a huge breakout title that got even people who seldom read anything to pick up a book. It won awards outside the fandom for its writing, and from a character's perspective is written with an eye towards characters with real problems and real obstacles to overcome. It was even one of the first furry books I read, the first one being Found One Apocalypse by Ben Goodridge. Out of Position and its sequels have had an outsized effect on furry literature as a whole. But with that said, let's dig into romance as a genre. Romance writing is big business in the outside world. Tons of them are published annually, and they sell like hotcakes. They have their own writers' association, similar to the Horror Writers Guild, or SIFWA, uh, called Romance Writers of America. And their website is at www.rwa.org if you're interested in checking them out. People like to be a little derisive about romance novels. Usually it's out of a vague and misplaced sense of popularity being a zero-sum game, and that they're taking away attention from the quote-unquote real books. While it makes us feel good to look down on trashy romance novels, I am incredibly guilty of doing just this exact thing. It really isn't helpful. If all a person wants to read is the latest from Harlequin, they aren't going to suddenly develop a love for the collected works of Harlan Ellison just because you tell them how bad the thing they love is. Now, from a craft perspective, that kind of novel is often lacking. They're published very quickly. Harlequin publishes something on the order of 85 books per month per their website. This was sped along by their guidelines, which used to be a little more transparent in what they were saying. At one time, they were a road map to your story. You would dress up your characters in a setting and a world with your own plots and motivations, but in the end, the characters would 
have to have started falling for each other by roughly a certain page, or have kissed by roughly a certain page, etc. All genres have their formulae. What we should do as furries is take what is compelling from those and bend them to suit our needs. Romance in furry fiction, when it's a primary genre, is often male-male. I'd say a large percentage of the published works with romantic plots in them are male-male in the fandom. Now, there are reasons for this. Of course, Kyle's popularity pushed writing in the fandom as a viable art form, and a lot of people wanted to tell their version of that kind of story. Another factor is that no matter what the surveys and demographics actually report, there is a perception of a vast majority of non-heterosexual individuals in the fandom, and among those, gay men often appear as the largest plurality. I'd be willing to bet that as that is seen as what sells, there's some attempt at writing to the market as well. I don't have any hard numbers, this is just a ground-level view of the situation. So, when you're writing a romance, there are some things I think, first and foremost, you need to be aware of, so I'll lead off with those and branch off from there, and again, this won't be comprehensive, um, and I'm certainly going to encourage you to write in with questions or, or, uh, or concerns for follow-up, and I'll be happy to take a look at those. First, and I'll try to put this delicately, try to have some actual experience in dating and sex if you're going to write about it, but don't feel forced. I know a few writers, very talented at writing sex scenes and romantic relationships, who have very little, if any, experience with such things directly. Beta readers and a knowledge of psychology as well as a keen observation of people close to them and having read that sort of literature pretty widely can suffice. Uh, for the rest of us, it's a good idea to at least have a little under the belt. And no, that's not an innuendo. Reading in the romance and erotica genres can be very helpful, too, with a major caveat. Be sure you pay attention to how the author has written the story. This leads into my second point. Romantic comedies and some romance subplots in movies are really bad. Sure, it's all lighthearted and fun, but if you stop to think about, say, the, the sign guy in Love Actually you'll realize that a lot of behavior in rom-coms is pretty stalkery and not okay. Now, I've said before, I'm not the sort of person who believes in a direct causal link between fiction and real-life action, but that belief is basically, at this point, case by case. And in the broad category of romantic comedies, relentless pursuit despite clear and repeated no answers has been shown to affect perception of stalking behavior. So, yeah... If you're going to write it, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, be very aware of just what you're putting on the page, and possibly ask beta readers to give you specific thoughts about the pursuit. Now, I don't want to talk too much about Fifty Shades of Grey. Everyone and their mother has an opinion about Fifty Shades of Grey, whether they've read it or not. Um, I have picked it up in a bookstore. I flipped to a particular section. I am not a fan. The articles are out there, explaining why it, as a piece of fiction, is so troubling. But it exemplifies what I'm talking about. When you write something, you should always be striving for accuracy within the realm of possibility, 
but also especially when what you are writing about is something that could lead to a situation where someone actually comes to harm. I don't believe in any sense that the author intended for the Fifty Shades books to be a chronicle of abuse. They were pieces of fan fiction for Twilight, with the serial numbers, numbers filed off and um, uh, uh, intended for, you know, a, a nice hot BDSM scene. But I, I don't want this episode to be all finger-wagging and haranguing about how you shouldn't do this or that, so let's shift gears a little to what you should do, or consider doing. Number one, consider what kind of a world you're writing in. Romance between characters does not happen in a vacuum, and you'll find, if you are being true to your setting, that it is much more difficult to have, say, two males in an openly visible relationship in certain parts of the world or many times throughout history. What that means is you should think about the societal and social structures of your world. What is taboo? What is tacitly accepted? What is the norm? Premarital sex was absolutely taboo in some cultures at certain times. But in the modern world, it's much more common, though not universally accepted by any means. But in a Western democracy, that is ostensibly not run on theocratic lines, you aren't going to jail or to be fined for it. Is your society one where same-sex relationships are accepted? Is it one where this is my good friend and roommate Thomas, he's a confirmed bachelor, is more likely to be the end of the discussion? You don't have to, and I would advise not, construct a complete society before writing your story, but you have to be consistent and when you deviate from established rules, you should know why and make that the deliberate choice. In addition to the broader society, what about families? Even in very permissive societies, there exists prejudice. We've seen that in real life time and time again. In literature, in Jacqueline Carey's Cushiel's Legacy books, the core precept of the religion in Terra d'Ange is love as thou wilt. And yet, there are people who make little snide remarks about men having sex with men. In a furry context, there are additional things to think of. In our world, interracial marriage was, and to some clusters of bigots still is, a major bone of contention. But in our world, an African American and an Asian person, or a white person, or a First Nations person, could have sex and a baby could result. In your furry world, would that be possible across species? Biologically, the answer is probably not. Now, that goes into something that I've talked about, and I don't remember if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but how human and how animal are your characters? If you want hybrids to exist, then you should, at least in the back of your own mind, have a biological reason why they can't. Do they have to be uh, artificially uh, created in a laboratory? Or are the characters' animal traits just a form of what skin color is to our world? Are, is a fox perfectly capable of mating with a wolf and producing foals? If you want that kind of world... Certainly, and that will change the dynamic of what is taboo with regards to sex. 
because there are probably going to be species purists at that point, because why would there be a world where people aren't hateful? So does an interspecies marriage work? Now, is this a society where heirs to the family are critical, and so interspecies relations are either not permissible, or simply interspecies marriage is illegal in order to keep the population up? More so than most genres, I think, romance is by default, deeply character-driven, by its very nature. This is interestingly where the romantic subplots fail for me in so many films. Characters who know nothing about each other thrown together across a limited time period in a high-stress situation will often end up in a romantic relationship by the end of the movie. While sex is a natural reaction to high-stress situation, it functions as a natural pressure valve in more ways than one, the problem comes in when it's full-on love we are expected to buy. The plot events drive the romance, and it falls flat on its face. We don't, or shouldn't, believe in the love between James Bond and any of the Bond girls. Those movies and novels are plot-driven at their core. The only exception would possibly be Vesper Lind from Casino Royale, and even then, it's questionable at best. So what am I getting at? I'm saying that characters should have a viable, demonstrable reason to fall in love. An attraction should grow logically out of a character's own inner self, and it probably won't be easy. A character who falls in love too easily is exemplified in Shakespeare's Romeo. In a moment with Friar Lawrence after the Capulet party and the infamous balcony scene, we have this little moment. Thou chidst me oft for loving Rosaline. For doting, not for loving, pupil mine. Incidentally, Shakespeare gives us not a romance, but a tragedy, and anyone who tells you Romeo and Juliet is a great love story has never read it or has never paid attention to it. But love doesn't always make sense, nor does physical attraction. You can always break with what I've said and have characters who don't have a reason to fall for each other do so, but I'd consider hanging a lampshade on it if I were you. Maybe your character fights the urges and fights with themselves to get their brain to stop wandering to the shapely thighs of the cute Janet in the next treadmill. You know, the really handsome one with the really short shorts and the cut-off shirt that shows off the, the lines of his abs and the fur of his belly. And <clears throat> Anyway, when you're setting out to write furry romance, and here I'm talking mostly about works in which romance is the primary genre, You'll want to keep in mind all those things about storytelling that you hear all the time. The foundational things remain the same in a romance as they would in any other story. The truly great romances, like great sci-fi or fantasy or horror, are great stories in their own right, genre or no genre. Something that does often get overlooked, and sadly this happens quite a bit, is conflict. Something has to keep your lovers apart and it should be something tangible. Meaningless conflicts don't work. I like this event, but my boyfriend doesn't, and I really want him to, on its own, doesn't hold up as a conflict. Probably because, eh, most of the time, an argument that comes out of something like that can be resolved by one person or the other or both apologizing. Boom. Done. 
Now this is a charge that actually gets leveled it out of position by Kyle Gold quite a bit. That is, if Dev and Lee would just sit down and talk to each other for five minutes, the conflict would be gone. But here's the thing about that. They're longer works, so you have a little more room to play with it. Um, a short story, uh, the conflict has to be bigger and more important because you don't have time for nuance. The conflict there in Out of Position isn't just what's readily apparent on the surface. To me, you can have a silly spat work as your conflict if your characters take it seriously as necessary. To them, this is very important. It has to be. I mean, that's part of why they're so upset over it. And that's what I mean about when I talk about the stakes being high. Your boyfriend can see someone that you really don't like who tried to split the two of you up, and you'd naturally get angry about it. The boyfriend could fix this by apologizing sincerely, but in the boyfriend's mind, he didn't do anything wrong. Why should he be the one to apologize? You're the one being unreasonable. And so it goes. When you web multiple events through a story, some caused by one partner, some by another, where it's true to their characters, then the surface conflict will work because there are deeper emotional conflicts beneath it to support it. It's like a scaffold that you've built underneath it. And in a short story, you have less time to do that because you have a max of, well, say, 10, 12,000 words at the outside for some of the anthologies in the fandom. And if you don't have the time to dedicate to a back and forth and give each thing its due, the scaffold is going to be weak or not present at all, and it's going to be a little like a Burmese tiger trap, and your reader's going to be bouncing along, bouncing along, hit the conflict, and fall straight down onto the spikes. Be careful, though, that your characters don't guide you down a path to things being irreconcilable. If you want to write big R romance, part of that genre that most readers will expect, is an emotionally satisfying ending. Preferably, that will be a hopeful one, and ideally, a happily ever after. At the least, give us some hope that things can work out in the future. One site I read while researching the specifics of the romance genre writing said, said it this way, If you kill off your hero at the end, you may have a love story, but you don't have a romance. A common mistake I've seen in romance has been to get really bogged down in character thoughts and feelings. And just like with any other story, you're going to want to make sure a character is actually taking action in some way. Not to say that you can't have an inner monologue running, and sometimes working through emotions is an action, of course. It can lead to flashbacks, or a character chopping three times the amount of cabbage that they need for something because they're distracted. Just keep them moving towards some goal or some need. Now, of course, a romance isn't required to have explicit sex. Much of the mainline romance genre makes use of euphemisms and gentle language to describe lovemaking. It takes a really firm touch with descriptors and poetic language to pull this off, and it pays to look at how it's done. But often in furry, we want our romance to be steamy and erotic. We want the sex to draw us in, breathing heavily as our characters consummate their relationship. Writing effective sex scenes has been talked through a great deal via other writing podcasts like Unsheathed and Fangs and Fonts, forum posts, and convention after-dark panels. 
but there's always room for more, I say, as I produce yet another furry writing podcast. So what makes for a satisfying sex scene? Well, if you're a reader, you know what really does it for you, and you should pay attention to that and make a note of that, because that's where you want to start. Here, I'm going to stick to talking about romance and erotica specifically, rather than in general. Uh, Sex can carry out any number of functions in a story and should ideally do more than titillate. Uh, And that's especially true in other genres. In erotica, it serves as the backbone upon which the story is ultimately constructed. Erotica is there for that purpose. It's not all about the sex, but it isn't not about the sex either. One story in Heat, I believe it was this past year's edition, um, and I think it was Watts Martin who wrote it. It was super erotic, despite sex not really happening on the page at all. For romance, often the sex is included to help advance the character's relationship. How people act and react during sex, what they do, what they say, how they move, how rough or how gentle they are, all reveal things about their character that might otherwise remain hidden. Sex on the page shouldn't be mechanical, tab A into slot B, vague descriptions of in-and-out motions repeating themselves until the characters reach an unsatisfying climax, clinical descriptors when more literary ones are needed, that kind of thing. Those will kill the heat and passion of a scene for most readers. There are also emotions on display, closer to the surface than at almost any other time. When a character who has one night stands he cares nothing for will reveal that to the reader during sex. We're at our most vulnerable, naked, compromised, possibly not thinking as clearly as we might otherwise. We throw ourselves into the act of copulation. When you're writing a sex scene, consider what type of story you're writing and who your audience is. Cock and cunt and pussy are vulgar words by American standards. Would our characters say them out loud? It's okay if they would, but you want to make sure of that before those words turn up in the narrative, because if your character isn't the type who might swear, or your audience doesn't believe that they're the type who might use vulgar language it's going to break the flow of the story, and it might do it subtly enough that it takes your reader out of the scene without them really realizing why. Words and phrases like cleft or spear in the right context can evoke a far more erotic image, and they rely on the reader's imagination. Anybody can toss off a vulgarity, but to paint a picture that is both pleasing in a literary sense and conveys the eroticism of the moment takes lots of reading and lots of practice writing such scenes. The same is true of all writing, of course, but you get my point. Like any genre, there are also some really, really tired tropes of sex scenes, and you should probably use them sparingly or just retire them outright, unless you plan on subverting them or using them in some unique way. Now, a big one that was very recently, like just today, discussed on the Furry Writers Guild Slack Chat's adult writing channel is simultaneous orgasm. Whether you're writing straight sex, gay sex, or queer sex of some other variety, whatever that may be, recognize that as hot as a simultaneous orgasm can sound, 
It's done so often in the literature that it might as well be a joke. Everyone's body responds differently when parts are being rubbed and squeezed and stuck places, and trying to get that to happen at the same time is often only slightly easier than locating the actual Holy Grail. Another trope is perfect sex every time. As hot as spontaneous sex is, if your reader has a half second to stop and think about it, most forms of sex without some kind of lubricant are decidedly unsexy. A body that possesses a vagina can alleviate this for one kind of sex, but anal sex without lube is just a terrible idea, and if you read erotica enough, you'll run across it happening. And then you have authors who blurt out things during panels like never use honey for lube, and of course not, but even that, it feels like the intention of using something was there. I mean, it's it's still better than that to think that and then go, no, that's a terrible idea, than to just decide, well, you know what, I'm going to have dry sex. Unless both people are really into that, great, go for it. In a straight, cisgender sex scene, the male is always able to hold an erection. The female is always wet enough for any activity. The male is very well endowed and skilled in using his cock. These kinds of sex scenes are not bad for their own sake. It does pay to remember that people slip and miss, and they pull out by accident, and sometimes they can't stay erect, or the condom keeps slipping off, or a partner's mouth goes dry in the middle of oral sex. Accidents happen. You can bump your head on the headboard of the bed if things get too intense. If you're writing a short story, maybe don't have the scene turn into a comedy of errors, of course. But in a longer work, with more than one scene in it, add an imperfection here and there. Reveal who your characters are when they're naked and panting and something fails to go according to plan. Something else is an obsession with the genitalia themselves. Besides comical euphemisms like Love Missile and Hidden Valley, which would be good in a farce but not many places besides, when you make it clear that characters are having sex, our mind is going to head straight for the genitals. But it's the act itself as a whole that our readers will be reading. We know what tabs and slots and combinations thereof look like and do and what is happening, What's going on up top? Is a character biting their lip with their eyes squeezed shut? Are they letting out growls or tiny little whimpers? How does the curve of their back feel against a character's paws? All of those things, and many more besides, will help your sex to stand out, assuming that you want it to. If you're going for a more romantic and less steamy story, then you might be better off with a, a thicker haze of euphemism and poetry. As we wrap things up here, let me suggest that if you want to write romance and erotica, that you not only read those genres, but that you read outside of the fandom as well as inside. Get the widest array of experience that you can, and your writing will improve as a result. I want to recommend two books this week. The first is Bridges by Kyle Gold. If you aren't familiar, it's a novella in Fur Planet's Cupcakes line. The story revolves around a gay fox named Hayward, who specializes in matchmaking for friends and acquaintances. Well worth a read, and one of the hottest sex scenes I have ever read on a page. 
The other is uh, much older, and it's a furry novella by Richan called Handcuffs and Lace. It reads a little more like a traditional straight erotic romance. It, it was not the first published furry book that I read, as I mentioned before, but it was the first one I purchased myself. It's not a very long read. Uh, it's about a skunk who finds himself arrested in a small town, and he falls for his jailer, a coyote named Vi. You can get either of those from furplanet.com in print form or via baddogbooks.com as an ebook. Okay, well, that's about it for today. Uh, just a couple of reminders. This is the last week to nominate for the Ursa Major Awards. This podcast has been recommended in the magazine category, and I have two stories eligible for nomination as well. Those stories are The Torch from Roar Volume 7 and Apostasy from Fang Volume 7, both from Fur Planet. The Torch is non-erotic and Apostasy is gay erotica. You can check both of those out in their respective anthologies from furplanet.com or from baddogbooks.com. If you'd like to nominate, uh, prior to the end of the day on February 28th, 2017, you can go visit www.ursamajorawards.org and follow the instructions they have there. Also, if you know friends who might be interested in listening, please point them at the podcast. I'd love to get some more people listening. Also, consider leaving a review on the podcast platform of your choice. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, you can email them to podcast at chriswilliamsauthor.com. I am also reachable on Twitter at Claus Podcast or via my personal Twitter at Sparf. Also, one other thing. I neglected to mention that uh, I have a story in the upcoming sci-fi horror anthology Bleak Horizons, which got delayed but should be releasing at Texas Furry Fiesta in just a couple of weeks. So if you're interested in horror, I can definitely recommend that anthology, not just because I'm in it, but because all of the other stories are decidedly creepy, and it really, really would be a good idea to check it out. So take a look at that as well. So, thanks for listening, and don't let anything stop you from spreading the love through writing. <laughs>